Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Hey, welcome. How are you guys this morning? Good, good. I love it. I love seeing y'all. Okay, we are going to jump into Romans 15 today. So if you got your Bibles, flip to Romans 15, and we'll put put it up on the screen also to make it easy for you. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible or you need a Bible or you want a new Bible, honestly, we would love to provide you with one. And so just let us know. Come and find us afterwards, and and we'll get you you a Bible. Um, What we're going to be talking about this morning... We're going through the book of Romans, and, and now we've arrived uh, here in the middle of, of chapter 15 of Romans, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 22. And so we're just handling these nine verses today and really digging deep. And one of the things that we're going to see Paul do in, in the author of, of this chapter of this book is we're going to see this theme of discipleship. And what we're going to see is we're going to see um, the Apostle Paul interact with his people. And, and this, this is a letter written to people that he's discipling, that he has a heart for, a church that he loves. The entire book of Romans is functionally discipleship from Paul to say, this is who you are, this is who we are, this is who God is, and it's this discipleship book. Um, and so we're going to see a real cool kind of behind-the-curtain glimpse of some of the elements of what discipleship is. And, and I'm excited about that because... In the Christian world, in the Christian bubble, in the Christian circles that some of you might be in, we use that word so much. Man, we throw around that word discipleship all the time. And I think half the time we don't really know what it means uh, or, or we use it poorly. And I, I think that happens all the time. And, and you might have kind of interacted in that. You might come from a very different background, all of a sudden show up to, to, to here and you walk in here and you're in community at a church or in a, in a ministry and you just hear this word, oh, are you discipled and who's discipling you and are you going to disciple? And it's this thing that you're like, what in the world are they talking about? Um, and, and I get it. And so I get really excited about getting to see some elements. Now, um, when we do it wrong and when we do it poorly, uh, which we do all the time, it becomes confusing for the world around us. And I think that happens. I think we take this word and we don't really know what it means. And so we're like, okay, I'm going I'm to be discipled. And we have all these misconceptions with it. And, and it's bad. And it's, it's not healthy. It, Francis would call it, it's a big sad, right? It's a big sad when we do that. Um, and so what this is going to do is it's going to really show us, man, here is, is some of the elements of what not only good discipleship looks like to disciple someone else, but here's what it looks like to be a good disciple. Now, I want to say this. This sermon and this passage today is not an all-encompassing lecture and sermon on all of discipleship. We're just going to look at some elements that pop up in these nine verses. And so I want to make sure it's clear to you that this isn't everything, but these are some really important factors uh, in discipleship. So um, let's jump in. Verse 14, we're just going to pick this apart a verse at a time, this section. So I'll read a verse, and we're going to just kind of see, see what God's doing here and, and unpack it. So verse 14 of chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says this to these people that he loves, that he's writing to. 
I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Okay, so, so right there, right off the bat, in, as he's starting to land the letter in chapter 15, we see Paul basically kind of begin his compliment sandwich that's about to happen. And so he's going to be really affirming, and then he's going to say some challenging things, and then he's going to be really affirming uh, towards the end of this passage. But that's what he's doing here, right? Paul, to the ones he's discipling, he says, hey, be encouraged. Be encouraged because you're growing, right? And, and I want you to notice a few things here. I want you to notice, first of all, that when he says full of goodness, right, filled with knowledge, there's something really important that happens there. You are, you are filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another, to instruct one another. And one of the really important things that we have to understand, an element of discipleship, is this idea that discipleship is not consumerism. Right? Discipleship, being poured into, being mentored spiritually, someone coming alongside of you, this idea of discipleship and walking with you towards Jesus, helping you grow in your faith, this, this spiritual mentorship that we see Paul doing, that we are called also to likewise do, it's not consumerism to partake in, right? It's really a lifestyle to be able to receive and then to be able to give to someone else like a domino. And, and, if, and if somebody is pouring into my life, they're challenging me, they're encouraging me, maybe they're meeting with me, they're, they're showing me more of who God is and, and who I am in relation to that, and they're really walking with me, that shouldn't stop with me. That should then continue and carry on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. The whole idea of discipleship is that it shouldn't just stop. It's not just a, it's not a buffet where I get to show up and say, yeah, I want to be discipled. Someone should pour into me and teach me, and it's, it's so that I can then go and instruct someone else, right? You are filled with this goodness and this knowledge and this competent, and then that really important prepositional phrase there, then to instruct one another. There's a design to it. Um, an illustration I think of is if, uh, if you are on a football team and you are coached, Right, that coach is going to disciple you in the way of, let's say you're a wide receiver, what it looks like to be a wide receiver, how to be a wide receiver, how to run routes, how to practice correctly, how, how, to, how to be the best possible wide receiver that God has designed or at least the offensive coordinator has designed for you to be in, in that way. And if, and if I went to practice every day and if I had a wide receivers coach in my life who was challenging me and teaching me and then I just never got in the game, I just learned how to run routes and I learned how to be a good wide receiver and I learned how to go catch balls, but then I never went and put it into practice. We would all look at that and be like, wow, that's, that's silly. Like you're just receiving all this knowledge that you're not actually putting into practice uh, on the field. And so, so that's a really important part of, of what discipleship uh, is. It's not meant to be hoarded. You are called to be in relationship with other people in different seasons. It looks like different things, but people who are encouraging you, challenging you, pushing you in your faith, but that's not to be hoarded. And so a really important element, right? One of the elements uh, of what it looks like to uh, being discipled is this. It's not just about me. It's about my obedience. And I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that one of the really important elements of what it looks like to be discipled is that this thing is not consumeristically designed to just make me better. It's designed so that I might receive more of who God is and, and how he's wired me so that then I can put it into practice. I can be obedient with that, whatever that looks like. People are gifted in different ways. The application, as you grow in your faith, 
the application of, of what that faith and how it's going to play out in you is going to be different than you and it's going to be different than you, but we're called to then go and do likewise. Go and use your gifts. Use the things you're passionate about. All of that. We, we started this whole ministry, the pack, driven by that idea, right? This whole thing that we're going to shut down the coffee shop on Wednesday and just have this big epic dinner and celebrate what God's doing and talk about honestly where we're going the next five years. This room on Wednesday night is going to be filled with people who say, man, I want to be made a disciple so that I can also go get in the game and share what God has done in my life with someone else because I want to see it contagious. That's, that's what we're called to do as believers, um, and so that's huge. And so that's a really important element uh, of what it means to be discipled, right? And so um, what, what do I do with this? Look at verse 15. Look, look then where Paul goes. And there's a lot in this. I'm just going to read this one verse, but I think there's a lot that he's communicating here. Verse 15, Paul says, yet, so he gave him the compliment sandwich, you're doing great, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me. Verse 14, hey, thumbs up, you're doing great. Verse 15, hey, to the disciple, you know you haven't arrived yet. What we see implied here in this verse is a really important another element of discipleship, which is that we have not arrived, right? One of the elements of being discipled is also that discipleship doesn't work if you don't really believe you need it. Discipleship doesn't work if you don't really think you need it. If you think you've arrived, well, then discipleship is going to be really awkward. It's going to be really awkward. Um, my story, and I've alluded to this actually on this stage before um, recently, but you heard those stories of people who like follow Jesus and they, they got saved and they put their faith in Christ and, um, and when they did, it was like a light switch went off and, and their just life just did a full 180 and they just like seem to now levitate around campus and it's like awesome and you love it and they're just on fire and it's awesome and that's a, that's a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. For me, my story was really different. Uh, my story, and I've, I've referred to this before, was not a light switch, it was a dimmer, right? And my walk with Christ as I've grown and attempted to grow closer to God has not just been, oh, I got saved. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. I, 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 yes, I did that. And I, and I surrendered my life and I positioned my heart on him. And I said, man, my life is no longer my own. I want to put my faith in Jesus and stop just trying to be religious. Stop just trying to be moral enough. I want to enter into a relationship with Christ. And that happened. And, and, and I got sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a thing that I believe happened, that I experienced happened. But not everything changed. I still struggled with the things I struggled with four days before. And so for me, it was this slow dimmer, not just a light switch where everything came on for me, but a slow dimmer for, for years and still continues to be. And sometimes it feels like I'm going, wait, no, it's a little dimmer now. And, and I just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and chasing after this God who ultimately chased after me to start with. But important for me is to know that I haven't arrived, that I'm still growing, that I'm still tempted that I'm still struggling, I'm still, we talk about it, we boast about it every week, we're broken people, and we don't boast that we want to stay in our brokenness, no, we want to grow out of it, and we are growing out of it. The things I struggled with 10 years ago, there is more and more freedom there as I follow Christ, but I have to realize I have not arrived, and it's important for me to know that, man, this doesn't work if I think I've already got the boxes checked. It's going to be really hard for me if I don't really think I need it. And the reason it's going to be really hard is because what Paul says here in verse 15, he says, man, I've written you quite boldly. And 
I would say that that is an understatement. He says, I've written you quite boldly on some points. And what he's referring to is the previous 15 chapters. I don't, I don't know if you've been here all semester. We've been going through Romans all semester. And some of these chapters and some of the quite boldly sentences and statements from the Apostle Paul that he wrote in this letter are in your face convicting. Man, just studying it myself and getting to preach it week after week, I'm like, oh my gosh, man, God is good and he is kind and he is merciful and he offers grace, but he is calling me to change and to grow and to stop playing in the mud. I mean, he is calling me to, to life abundant and there is conviction in what Paul has written all throughout Romans. It's heavy stuff. And so when he says quite boldly, I think that's a really, really important point because when somebody challenges you, boldly, quite boldly, and says, hey, I see something in your life that's off. I see something in your life, and as I'm trying to disciple you, push you to Jesus, then I see something that's holding you back. I see a blind spot that that you don't see. If I think I've got it figured out, it's going to be really hard for me to receive that. And it's going to be really hard for me to see peers and loved ones and other friends say things that are really bold and honestly a little uncomfortable and a little vulnerable if I think I've got it figured out. And so the second thing here in in just verse 15, another element of what it looks like to be discipled is this. Discipleship means you care more about what God thinks about you than what you do around the people around you, what they think about you. And that's, that's so easy to say in a sermon, and that is so massively hard for me to actually live out. If I'm honest, that is a really hard part of my discipleship because I care what people around me think. And, and at times, to a very sinful degree, I care more about what you guys think of me. I, I want you to like me. I want my friends. I want my coworkers. I want the guys that I lead. I, I want the, the bosses and the people who disciple me. I want them to think, wow, that Ben, he is a great guy. He is swell. Man, he is swell. If he ever wasn't in my life, I'd be big sad, right? That's what I want them to all say in my life. Because I've got this idolatry of, of I, I want their approval, and I want them to think I'm doing okay, and so we fake it, right? We fake it, and we pretend we got it all together, and we put on a mask, and we know the church game if we've been around, and we know what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do, and I can confess this, but I'm certainly not going to confess this right now, because what will he think of me? What will they think of me if they know I still struggle with this? Oh, man. And what is that? That's an imbalance. It's, I'm, I, I care more about what people around me think about me than I do about a God who calls me to godliness. I care more about approval of peers and people discipling me or people I disciple than I do about a God's holiness who says, walk away from this. And one of the ways you're going to walk away from this, Ben, is to confess it and bring it into the light and watch how my grace covers your darkest, most awkward, most embarrassing sin. Let my grace cover that. Confess it. Share it. Walk alongside with somebody who who knows that grace and can speak that grace into your life. So really being discipled means I got to do this. I got to reorient. Do I care more about what people think of me, or I care more about what my God thinks of me. If I cared what my God thinks of me most, if I was most concerned and obsessed with that in a sweet way, a God who is a loving father but calls me to live a holy life, then man, I think I would run away from my sin way quicker. 
way quicker. I think I would be able to receive someone's quite bold critique of me way quicker because I see that they're speaking into a blind spot and I don't have to pretend they don't have blind spots because ultimately I want to please the Lord. Um, But if we say, no, I don't want to be coached, that's awkward, that's vulnerable, if people knew what I struggled with, then we're going to limit our ability to be discipled. Um, One more little observation in just this verse. There's so much in these nine verses, but one more little observation I want to make is this. Um, Some elements of being discipled are really discipleship is about being reminded. And I want to show you where I I get that. Look again at verse 15. Um, I'll just read it for you because I want this to stay up on the screen. Discipleship is about being reminded. He says, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. Um, when When we really try to define this abstract, important, but abstract term of discipleship, um, I think it's really important to, yes, ha- define it as something that I'm willing to be humble about, and, and I'm willing to realize I'm not arrived, and uh, I want to fear the Lord more than I fear the approval of man, but also I think it's really important, a part of discipleship is just being constantly reminded. I mean, that's what's happening. That, that's what's happening in discipleship, is, is I go, and, and someone knows me well enough, and they are constantly reminding me of who I am. That's what Jesus was doing. For three years with his disciples, he, I mean, he was teaching a lot of the same lessons. Here we go again. Here we go again. Here we go again. We are so prone to forget. I mean, that is, that is our major problem. I, 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 am, I sing this song, man, here's my heart, Lord. And I'm like, there. God, here is my heart. I love you. You are what is worth it. I don't care about anything else. I just want you to have my heart. And then an hour and 17 minutes later, I'm like, who's God again? Right? Like, we are just so prone to forget. We're prone to wander. We, we do this with our kids, right? So Charlie and Miles, four and seven, uh, we have to just constantly remind them to put their dishes in the sink after dinner. It's a thing, right? And we're patient about it because they're kids, and Charlie picks up on it quicker than Miles, but we've just got to keep teaching them, hey, you th- put your dishes in the sink. And that's just about obedience. That's just an issue of obedience. Talk about issues of character. How many times do you think I sit down with my seven-year-old and tell him the man that I believe God's made him to be. Because I think what he's up against as a seven-year-old growing up in the world we live in is the world telling him he is not a good enough man. And he is not a good enough man unless he can do this or do that or conquer this or do this. And so, so much of my discipleship of my seven-and-a-half-year-old son is every chance I get reminding him who he is because of who the God of the universe has called him to be. Because I want him to grow up knowing where his worth and where his value come from is not, uh, is not women, is not success, is not what his bros think of him, is not what the world, is not what he can accomplish. I want him to know his value and his worth is because his creator said, I created you in my image. I called you according to a purpose and I've prepared works for you. But I know in his little seven and a half year old heart, I'm gonna tell him that constantly. And I know so much of my parenting is going to be watching him forget who he is and watching him chase after other things and watching him try to find his value and his worth and his satisfaction in so many other things. Man, you guys live in an incredible time if you're a college student in your world. I mean, there is, there is few other seasons of your life that are sweeter, but also 
there are a few other seasons of your life that are this dangerous with the amount of temptation and the amount of availability of that temptation in your life. It's awesome. I love it for you guys. College is the best. But you're also surrounded by constant other voices telling you who you are, what to believe. If, if you want to be this person, if you want to feel valued, you've got to have this, you've got to weigh this, you've got to look this way, you've got to be affirmed here, you've got to be selected here, you've got to make this grade. We're so prone to forget. And so a massive element of discipleship is find yourself in a place where you have somebody who knows truth and they are reminding you of that. And don't grow weary of being reminded who I am, who he is, how I'm called to live. Give yourself grace in that. Verse 16. Verse 16, we're going to see a little bit of a pivot because so far I've kind of shared with you these elements of being discipled. Right, we've seen honestly in what two verses we've seen four or five different different features, different facets of what it looks like to be discipled, and now um, sixteen through nineteen, we're going to see just a just a couple, just two ways of what it looks like to disciple, and, and that idea of discipleship, not just of how you receive it and the right posture to be able to receive it, but also how you give it. And so, look at what Paul says in verse sixteen. He says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That was a a carryover from verse 15 where he says, man, it is because of God's grace and God's grace gave me to be able to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so, so Paul is saying, that's my mission. Right, here's my mission, that I get to be this minister of Jesus Christ to the people who aren't Jews, who didn't know Jesus, who, who didn't even know the Old Testament God, and I get to introduce them and share to them who our God is and how he showed up in the person and work of Jesus. That's my role. So here's some elements of discipling, and we see it right here. Do your duty, but progress is the Lord's. You are called to, make, to be discipled and make disciples. That is a part of the Christian life. That's not a varsity Christian thing. That is a part of the Christian life. That as you walk closely to the Lord, as you follow him, you are also called to tell someone else or to use your gifts in some way to also bring much of him. And there's going to be different seasons of your life where it looks different, and that's okay. And there's not one size fits all, and there's not one formula, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. Um, But you are called to go and make disciples. I know I say this all the time, but if you're following Jesus and you're not making disciples, you're not at least using your gifts, but you're following Jesus, you're not really following Jesus. Because inherent within following him is this idea of, okay, I'm going to share with someone else. I'm going to love someone else. I'm going to serve at least someone else. And so we are called to do our duty. He says that. It's his priestly duty in verse, in verse 16 proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. And then it says, sanctified, which is a fancy word for matured, this, this purification, this sanctification, this matured by the Holy Spirit. We have a job to do, church. If you're a believer, you have a job to do. It's, it's to live in such a way here. You have a job, you have a duty. But the progress of how effective you are at that job is not on you, it's on the Lord. And that is an incredibly important concept in the Christian life. Proverbs 21, 31 says, um, we prepare the horse for battle, but victory is the Lord's. 
right? And so this is the call of discipleship, that if you are discipling, if you feel like, okay, I should use my gifts, I should pour into someone else, I should love someone else, then yes, you need to step into that because it's your duty. But guess what? Your effectiveness of how good you're going to be at that isn't actually you. Your job is to prepare the horse and to say yes when God puts those opportunities in front of you. But God is the one who brings progress in people's lives. God is the one. You're sanctified, not by Paul, Paul says, I'm doing my duty, but who actually does the sanctification? It's the Holy Spirit that does the sanctification. And that's, I mean, that is so huge. That's so huge. Because honestly, if I were to tell you, hey guys, which I've told you at least half a dozen times already in the sermon, go and make disciples, right? This ministry is largely driven by go and and be obedient to what God's put in your life. That's scary. (laughs) That's scary and that's awkward. And where do I start? And if you hear that challenge and you step into that and you say, okay, I'm going to try to love someone well, I'm going to start praying for them, and I'm going to try to step into this opportunity, and you feel like, wow, this is really scary. I, I don't think I'm good enough to do this. If you hear this concept of discipleship and you think, that feels varsity, and I'm not there yet, Ben. I get that, like, maybe that's something I should do, but I don't feel there yet. If you have the thought when you're challenged to make disciples, I just don't think I'm good enough. Can I be real honest? The solution to that is not, yes, you are. The solution to that feeling of I'm not good enough is agreement. The solution to your feeling of inadequacy is not, wait, no, I am good enough. No, no, the solution by the Apostle Paul is you're not good enough to make disciples. You're called to do it but you won't actually be good enough. And in understanding that, there is so much freedom. There's so much freedom because God is saying, I will do the work. I want you to go be obedient and love someone. And you're like, but I'm going to stumble. I'm not going to have the right words. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to end up embarrassing me. I'm going to end up embarrassing you, God. I'm not good enough. And God says, I know you're not good enough. The Apostle Paul wasn't good enough. My Holy Spirit is going to do it. Just keep taking baby steps into the game. And I'm going to produce the fruit. I'm going to bring around the life change. There's so much freedom in that. You know what I spend two songs praying right before I walk up on the stage every week? Every week before, before I walk up here, I spend those two songs before the sermon as I'm worshiping, praying, Lord, would you use my inadequacy? I'm not adequate enough to bring about any change in your life. I do not have the ability to preach a good enough sermon or be savvy enough or clever enough or thoughtful enough or, you know, Brett and this team isn't skilled enough with their gifts to be able to lead you to the Spirit. I can't produce change in you. I am inadequate to do what I'm doing right now. And so my prayer is, Lord, praise God that I don't have to. Would I get up here on the stage? Would I preach your word? And would you use an inadequate sinner for your glory to plant seeds that only your Holy Spirit is really going to bring about in the lives of the kids that you care about, God? The daughters and the sons in this room who are watching this that you care about, would you do the work? We don't have to pretend that we're not adequate. We can boast in our weakness and make much of Jesus. That's huge as an element of how we disciple someone else. There's freedom in that. And look where he goes from there. Verse 17 through 19. Therefore, because of that, because of that freedom, because of the position of him doing the work and not me, therefore I glory In Christ Jesus, in my service to God, I can praise God as I serve him 
because of that truth that it was never based on me, but the Holy Spirit the whole time. And then I love verse 18, man. Underline verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I'm going to read it one more time. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around Elysium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Last element, and then, and then we're going to read another section and we're going to see how Paul lands it here in, a, here in a second. But the last element of your discipling, I want you to notice here in this passage, what's Paul's curriculum? Right? Your curriculum of how you make disciples, your pathway, the structure, but what am I supposed to do? Okay, I'm supposed to go obediently make disciples. What do I say? What should I walk them through? How do I do that? Tangibly, what is the tool? What is the curriculum? That curriculum is your life change. Your curriculum to be obedient to the call of making disciples is what God has done in your life. Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Look what God's done in my life. Look what he's done. Look what he is doing in my life. A sinner still struggling, but look at the freedom that he's giving me. Look at what he's doing in my life. That's our curriculum. And, and there, are, there are discipleship books. There are all kinds of actual discipleship curriculums, and they are good. I'm not knocking all curriculums, right? They are really good. There are very good resources out there that people use and that you can use that give structure to conversations and structure to discipleship relationships, and they're really good because they give structure. But at the end of the day, all those structures should ultimately do is bring you to a place where you're in God's word and you're getting to be exposed to say, look at what I'm dealing with and look at the freedom that this is producing in my life and I want that for you. And so use curriculums and structures and discipleship books and study God's word together across from someone, whatever that looks like. But I want you to know there's not a, there's not a wrong way to do it. If you're living your life on your, your sleeve and you're saying here is who I am and what God has done and look at what he's doing. And that's massive. That is massive. My life, I get to say, hey, look at how he has showed up. Look at how he has been mighty in my life. I, I get to disciple somebody who, who's struggling and stuck in pornography addiction. And I don't just disciple them through a book on how to not look at pornography. I, I take him into God's word and I, we study about who he is and the grace he has for us and, and how he's designed the beautifulness of sex and how he's designed us to be set free from our sins. And then I also get to say, look at my life. Look at my genuine struggles in that area also. I, I haven't arrived. I, I'm not without sin. I have temptations in my life. Look at how I've struggled. Look at when I was a young man. Look at even in parts of my marriage where I've struggled with lust in ways that aren't what God called me to do. And then look at the freedom that God produces. And look at the freedom that can come out of it. We share our struggles. We're vulnerable with our struggles. Because remember, it's not about, oh, I don't want to tell them that I've struggled with that. I don't want to tell them that I still struggle with that. I don't want to tell them that, that I'm a pastor who still has accountability in my life because there's areas of my heart that I just can't trust myself with if I don't have accountability. 
I, I need that. I need accountability. I need men saying, hey, here are some boundaries that we know you struggle with. How are you doing on those? I need to meet weekly with, with men who will do that. And I do because I'm weak. And that's the point. He is strong. And so I just got to get less of me and more of him. I got to get less of me and more of him. I don't just get stronger and get my attitude and my behavior better. No, no, I got to just die and let Christ show up more and more. Our curriculum is our own life change. And it doesn't mean that we've arrived. It's our own process. Hey, I'm maybe a baby step ahead of you, but man, let me show you what God's doing in my life. Okay, last thing. Verses 20 through 22. Here's what Paul says. (laughs) I love this. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who have not told about him will see. Those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So he's about to go into his travel plans, and, and I'm not going to get into all of those right now, but he, here's, what, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I, I want to get to Rome, where he's writing, but I've been hindered. And he says, I want, uh, I, I want this idea of getting to not just build on someone else's foundation, but go and share Christ uh, to people who don't know Christ. And so there's a few things I want you to, to know here, is that God is calling, I believe, us Right, even in the, the Great Commission from Jesus in Matthew 28, he says, hey, if you're my followers, go and make disciples of all the world. Go and make disciples. Share what God has done in your life. Continue to follow me and invite others to come along. And so that might mean sharing Christ with somebody who's never heard of Christ, or, or it might be a discipleship of somebody who knows Christ, but they're just continuing to walk out their maturity, their sanctification with you. And so that might mean you go to the far reaches of the world. But it also might mean in this season, it might not mean you go to Japan or the jungles of South America. It might mean that you go to your campus or you go home for the summer to a house that doesn't know Christ. A couple observations here in verse 20 has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. When he says preach the gospel where Christ is not known, preach is not a pulpit when he's referring to it here. He, he didn't have a church that he was standing on. When he said preach, he meant his lifestyle. You don't need to do this, what I'm doing up here. You preach it with your lifestyle. We talked about that. You are the curriculum. And to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. I want you to hear me say, I want you to hear Paul say, live it where Christ is not known. And known does not mean heard. He's not saying share Christ with people who have never heard of Christ. We live in Fort Worth, Texas. Right? There's churches everywhere. Right? Most of us have heard of who Christ is. So this is not, a, this is not a, an opportunity to give a history lesson on who Jesus is. People know who Christ is. People have, excuse me, heard who Christ is. But they don't have a relationship with him. Right? You are surrounded by people who think they know Jesus because they've heard of him. Well, yeah, I know who Jesus is. I've heard of him. I grew up in church. We talked about Jesus. I prayed to him. I I repeated a prayer one time. I did a thing. I went to VBS. I get it. Right? We're surrounded by people who have heard about Jesus. But you are surrounded by people who don't know him. You are called to preach him, to live out what he's done in your life, the gospel of grace, how he loves you, 
unconditionally, if you have surrendered your life to him, if you know him, to share what you know about him. A relationship, not information about a historical figure 2,000 years ago. Share what you know about this relationship that you're walking out by a God who is so gracious to you. Do people know Jesus? You're surrounded by people who don't. Because I believe if they knew Jesus, they would be transformed by him. When we know and see face to face who our God is, how merciful he is, when we realize that our God isn't this angry judge in the sky who's got his arms folded to figure out if we're religious or moral enough or figure out what we did last weekend or figure out how far we went with our girlfriend or our boyfriend. or If, if we, as soon as we start to deconstruct all of the lies of who God is and say, oh my gosh, I'm actually seeing who my father is and his kindness and compassion and what he calls me to and his love and that kindness that then leads me to change my life. Man, if we would introduce people live our lifestyle, preach with our life, that God that we know, what would he do? There are people who don't know him. And let me ask the last question. Do you know him? Do you know him? And when I ask that question, does it scare you to think, oh man, what if they find out that I don't really know if I know this God? I know about him, I know of him, I know lots of facts about him, I know what I'm supposed to believe, but do I have a relationship with the God of the universe? And if you're here and you're hearing this, know that it wasn't an accident you were here this morning. That God, not me, not this inadequate preacher, but the God of the universe said, I have something for you and I want you to know me deeper. And we know him because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, you will have, would have never been good enough to really have him reveal himself to you. But because of his grace through Christ, I can surrender my life to that grace. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and say, okay, I've tried religion, I've tried morality, I've tried what the world has to offer, and God, I am done and I am exhausted and I am left wanting. God, would I surrender my life to you and put my faith in you and would you reveal yourself to me in powerful and palpable and life-changing ways? And it's, it's a good chance it's not gonna be a light switch, but it's gonna be a decision that then begins the dimmer in your life. And if you want that dimmer to move in the right direction, get discipled. Walk alongside other people who are broken but being healed by a gracious God. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. That's so important. You started this thing. And we're so grateful for it. Um, you have revealed yourself through your words. You've defined who you are. Um, you have showed us who you are. You have shown us who we are in light of your grace. So God, would you just continue this work in all of our hearts, no matter how mature we are in our faith in this room, would we leave this room? Would we enter even back into worship with a, a hunger in our souls that God, would we know you deeper? Would we never be satisfied? Would we want to continue, Lord, in your grace like a child growing to know you more and more and more. Who are you, God? Continue to reveal yourself. And then would you surround us with community, other people to disciple us and, and show us what, what they see of you through Scripture and how it's playing out in their life and surround us with people that we then get to pour out into and stumble our way through life in this incredible grace of the Christian life. You love us. To my friend who's in this room, who hears this and feels the conviction of God, I am religious, I call myself a Christian, but I don't know that I know you. 
would today be a turning point in their life? Would they stop and say, Father, I surrender. I'm tired of chasing. I'm tired of trying and striving and knowing, trying to know enough, wrap my brain around this enough. Would they surrender their life to you, Father? And, and even that difficult challenge, Lord, would you put other men, would you put other women around them that they might be bold, caring more about what you think of them when what peers think of them to say, hey, I'm, I'm really starting to get into this relationship. Will you help walk me through it? Will you help walk with me in my relationship? Would they find other believers who love you and are trying to walk this thing out? Would they reach out to us if they can't find that? Would we be a ministry that would walk alongside them? God, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus, amen.